Our Father, we are so thankful for this word which you have given to your people today. This word which speaks of your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord. And Father, with John the Baptist, we see him as the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Father, help us to see him more and more clearly this morning. And may you speak to us this word so that we would receive it deeply into our hearts. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, over the last few decades, there have been a number of trends in what we call evangelicalism, this movement of the church, which we all belong to, the evangelical church. If you reflect on the last several decades, maybe going back into the 1970s and the 1980s into the 1990s, we've had this emphasis on evangelism. And maybe you remember those days. Evangelism was very prominent as a very prominent aspect of the church. Uh, we recall like Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham Crusades, who would pack out these stadiums. He'd travel from city to city, packing out these stadiums and inviting people, scores and hundreds and hundreds and thousands even of people to come and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Uh, we had this emphasis on evangelism. We had revivals in churches. Uh, you would have week-long revivals, usually in the spring or in the fall. You would have the tent meeting revivals in the summer. You would have these evangelistic outreach events. Uh, we would go door-to-door -door doing evangelism, sharing the gospel with people around us, our neighbors. And many of you may remember those days, and maybe you participated in some of those activities, these uh, activities of evangelism. We also, especially when we got into the 1990s, began to reshape the way that we worship, and we often would term it seeker-sensitive worship, right? A lot of churches get, got into this. They would reform their, their worship in order to be more attractional to people who are outside the church, to make it more accommodating for people to come into the church. Also in the 1990s, especially and into the 2000s, we had what was called the church growth movement which was this emphasis on growing the church through any means possible. And you had uh, the, the famous pastors like Bill Hybels and, and, uh, and Rick Warren and these other pastors of these large churches, the, the birth really of the, the mega church movement. It was alive and well in that decade, the 1990s especially. So in evangelicalism, as we reflect on our recent history, we have this emphasis on evangelism and on the, the, the growth of the church. And yet we also, more recently, have this emphasis on discipleship, discipleship. And in some ways, it was a reaction to the evangelism emphasis. Uh, we can reflect on maybe the last 15, 20 years where we have moved away more from the evangelism side to more of the discipleship side because we, we began to read scripture differently or we began to read the words of Jesus a little bit more deeply and we saw that evangelism itself is not enough, but we need to move people beyond evangelism into actually being, becoming disciples of Jesus. Just to give you an example of this in the Wesleyan Church, even here in the Wesleyan Church, we've created a department for discipleship with its own director of discipleship. And that was just within the last five or 10 years that we've done that. Our general superintendent has said, quote, we celebrate every time a disciple makes a disciple. 
We are commissioned and empowered to be a disciple-making movement. So we see now this emphasis on discipleship. And like I said, this is largely in some respects a correction to the emphasis on evangelism that we used to have. Because we read the gospel and we see that Jesus doesn't say, go and make converts. He doesn't say, go and evangelize. He says, go and make disciples. And discipleship really involves evangelism, doesn't it? It begins with evangelism, but it also has to go deeper than evangelism. So we have this emphasis on discipleship as uh, being about following Jesus. It's about learning the faith. It's about growing in the faith. Not just saying a prayer, not just becoming a Christian, not just giving your heart to Jesus, but actually living like Jesus. Discipleship. So discipleship here often means being taught the faith. What do Christians believe? How do Christians read the Bible? How do Christians pray? It's about being coached in the basics of the faith, kind of this mentor-mentee relationship, the discipleship relationship. So as we reflect on the last several decades, going back to the 1970s, there's this emphasis on, disciple, on, on evangelism on the one hand, and then this emphasis on discipleship more recently on the other hand. But beyond both of them, we also find something much deeper. It's related to both of these. Both evangelism and discipleship flow out of this thing. They are connected to it. But ultimately, this is something different. I'm talking about formation, spiritual formation, spiritual formation. It's related to evangelism. It's related to discipleship but it stands between them. It goes deeper than both of them. It goes further and beyond them. Evangelism and discipleship are exterior activities of the church, you see. It's about bringing people into the faith, and it's about instructing them in the faith. Evangelism, bringing them in, and discipleship, instructing them. But spiritual formation really is about being formed in the faith. Not just being initiated into the faith or instructed in the faith, but being formed in the faith. It's about the shaping of the heart. And this really is the deeper, invisible work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that takes place when we cooperate with his grace to truly change who we are, not just what we believe, not just how we behave, but who we are. We see discipleship in our story this morning, and we definitely see evangelism in our story. But at the heart of both of these, we see these central habits of the deep and spiritual formation. I mentioned uh, last week that we're going to be looking at the gospel of Mark, and that's true. We're going to be back in Mark chapter 1 next week. But occasionally in this season, we'll also be dipping into the gospel of John. And that's where we are this morning. As we travel through these weeks, looking at these stories of the Gospels, we're really focusing on the person of Jesus. We're really focusing on who Jesus is and what Jesus does and what Jesus says. These are Jesus stories. Jesus stories. They're stories about Jesus. And as stories about Jesus, they are stories about spiritual formation. They're meant to shape us and to change us into becoming more like Christ. And so it's fitting for the season that we're in that we take a look here at John chapter 1. 
The season that we're in, the season after the Epiphany, is sometimes called ordinary time. Ordinary time. And uh, it, it began last week with the baptism of Jesus, and it continues up through the transfiguration of Jesus and the beginning of Lent. We call it ordinary time, but in the sense that it's the time that brings order. It's the time that brings order. Ordinary, not in the sense of commonplace, but in the sense of bringing order. It orders our life. It brings order to the things that are out of balance or off kilter. And so it's designed to set in order the deep rhythms of our formation. Ordinary time is the time that orders our spiritual growth. And it does this especially by bringing us back to these Jesus stories. Which is why we come to our gospel this morning. It's a, a gospel story that brings order. It brings shape to our inner spiritual life and practice as followers of Jesus. So we pick up where we left off basically last week with John the Baptist. And like I said at the beginning uh, this morning, the story in, in John's gospel doesn't have a, a picture of the baptism of Jesus. There's no uh, indication that Jesus was baptized. So we have to go to the other gospels to get that part of the story. But what we do have in John's gospel is the testimony of John the Baptist. This witness that John the Baptist gives to having identified Jesus as the son of God. And we, we kind of see it here just prior to our reading in verse 32. It says, John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. So we don't necessarily have the story of the baptism of Jesus, but we do have this testimony from John the Baptist about Jesus. And in, in that paragraph, you see how Jesus comes walking by, and John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, so he's identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God, as the Son of God, the one who has come into the world to take away the sin of the world. And then we come to our passage at verse 35, where our story picks up. It's the next day, and again, John the Baptist is standing with two of his disciples. He's instructing two of his own disciples, and Jesus again walks by. And John again points to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. But this time, it's interesting, these two disciples of John get up and leave John behind, and they start following Jesus. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. They follow Jesus. And then we get the picture. This is almost kind of a comical picture. Jesus continues walking along, right? And he notices these two disciples who are just behind him following him. Kind of like Mother Duck, right? <laughs> these two disciples are following after Jesus. And Jesus stops. He turns to them. He says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? They reply to him, where are you staying? And Jesus says, Come. And you will see. And so verse uh, 39, so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So they've 
identified Jesus. They started to follow Jesus. They find out where Jesus is staying, and they go to be with Jesus in that place. And then we get the, the beginning of the calling of Jesus' own disciples. One of those two who had heard John speak uh, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41 says, he found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brings his brother Simon to Jesus and Jesus renames Simon and calls him Peter. Uh, then the next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee and he finds Philip. And he says to Philip, follow me. And we find out that Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Simon. So it's likely that he knew Andrew and Simon. And then Philip goes and finds Nathanael and tells Nathanael, we found him of whom the, the law and the prophets spoke, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael comes to Jesus and believes in Jesus as the son of God. So we have this very interesting story, don't we? And we have both of these threads coming together. On the one hand, we have discipleship in the sense that the, the disciples of John leave John behind and start following Jesus. Discipleship, the essence of discipleship is following Jesus. We have discipleship in the sense that Jesus comes to Philip and says, follow me. And Philip begins to follow Jesus. So we have one hand, on the one hand, the thread of discipleship, but we have on the other hand, this thread of evangelism, sharing about Jesus. And we see it starting with John the Baptist. As Jesus walks by, he points to Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He's sharing about who Jesus is. Evangelism, verse 41, again, Andrew goes and finds his brother Simon, Simon Peter, and brings him to Jesus. Verse 44, Philip, who's from the same town as Andrew and Simon, and likely knew these guys, and they likely told him about Jesus. That's evangelism. And then verse 45, Philip finds Nathaniel and brings him to Jesus. Evangelism. So this thread of discipleship and this thread of evangelism. But what I'm fascinated with this morning is at the center of this, all of this activity, all of this story, at the very center we find this tiny phrase in verse 39, they stayed with him. They stayed with him. It comes in the context of Jesus turning and seeing these two disciples and asking them, what are you seeking? And they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. They stayed with him that day. Spiritual formation begins with staying with Jesus, staying with Jesus. We have evangelism on one hand, we have discipleship on the other hand, but right in the middle of all of it, we have this staying with Jesus. The NIV puts it, they spent the day with him, which is, is a good translation as well. The NRSV has it a little bit better, they remained with him. Just a slightly better take on that word. But 
honestly, the King James has it best. I don't say that very often, but it's true here. The King James says they abode with him. They abode with him. See here, this is the language of abiding. It's the language of remaining. It's the language of staying with and staying near. And I used to think, in all the times that I've studied this text and preached from this text in the past, I used to think that this was all about evangelism and discipleship. And at one level it is, right? Jesus calls his first disciples. That's what the heading in my Bible says. He calls his first disciples and they share about Jesus with others. That's evangelism. But this week I noticed something that I've never noticed before. Yes, it's about evangelism and it's about discipleship. But more than that, deeper than that, it's a story about abiding. Abiding with Jesus. It's about remaining with Jesus, staying where Jesus is. And in that sense, it's about spiritual formation. Because you see, at the heart of spiritual formation is the simple, uncomplicated practice of staying with Jesus. At the heart of spiritual formation is the simple, uncomplicated practice of finding out where he is and going to where he is and remaining with him where he is. It's about finding out where Jesus is. It's about going to where Jesus is. And it's about remaining with Jesus where he is. It's the most crucial and yet also the most ordinary practice of the spiritual life, remaining with Jesus. The word that John uses here is a form of the Greek word meno, and it's a favorite word that John uses all the time, all across his gospel and all across his, his letters. John, in John chapter 6, says that Jesus said to, to those around him, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, abide in me and I in them. Same word, stay, remain, abide. Or John chapter 8, verse 31, if you remain in my word, you are my true disciples. If you abide in my word, you are my true disciples. If you read John chapter 15, I encourage you to do that this afternoon. You find this word all over the place. Almost every verse has this word in it. Remain in me as I remain in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them bear much fruit. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You will stay in my love. Or we go outside the Gospel of John to the first letter of John in chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever loves a brother or sister abides in the light. A couple verses later, if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. A couple verses after that, and now little children, abide in him. Chapter 4, verse 16 of 1 John says, those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Same word, stay, remain, abide. In John's writings alone, that's to say in his gospel and in his letters, he uses this word over 50 times. 50 times. 
Often it indicates just staying in the same location, a physical location, right? Remaining in a certain place. And that's probably the primary meaning here in John chapter 1. They stayed with him that day. They found out where he was staying, where he was lodging, and they stayed with him. But in light of everything else John says with this word, I think he's getting at a, a deeper spiritual level when he says they stayed with him. In light of all the other uses of this word, especially what we find in John 15 with the vine and the branches, I think he's getting at a deeper spiritual truth. They stayed with him. They remained with him. They abided with him. And the indication then is so can we. So can we. This is the essence of being a disciple. They followed Jesus, staying with Jesus. This is the essence of being an evangelist. They shared Jesus, having stayed with Jesus. This is the very cornerstone of spiritual formation. They stayed with Jesus. As we look back at all these trends over the last 50 years in the evangelical church, most of our problems, I think, came when we neglected this one basic rhythm of spiritual formation. We often went astray when we neglected this one basic habit, this practice of spiritual formation. Our evangelism got off kilter when we started going door to door for the sake of numbers and numbers alone. Our evangelism was out of balance when our focus became filling our churches more than shaping hearts with the presence of Jesus. When we look at our larger churches and the church growth movement, we bought into commercialism and cultural versions of success when we stopped staying with Jesus. When we turn to our discipleship, we see that we have been misaligned in our discipleship by focusing on educating the head more than, more than shaping the heart. When we have put the emphasis on doing more than on being, working to make more disciples more than simply being with Jesus. Our gospel this morning calls us back to this practice of staying with Jesus, this habit of remaining with Jesus, this rhythm of abiding. And our gospel calls us to ask how we do this as well. How do we stay with Jesus? Of course, there's our daily devotional, quiet time, daily prayer, daily scripture, those things we know, those things that I hope we all practice. Uh, in the music that you listen to on the radio or on CD player or MP3, whatever, when you are, are singing the songs or the hymns that you sing throughout the week, when you gather with us on Sunday morning for worship, all of those things help us to stay with Jesus. And those are things that I hope we all practice in our, our daily lives. But also, I think this story shows us the importance of staying with Jesus in the everyday things of our life in the everyday things of our life. I once heard an Anglican priest say, quote, the one who prays only when on his knees prays very little. The one who prays only when he's on his knees prays very little. And what that means is that if you pray only when you're supposed to pray, you're probably praying very little. 
or when we worship only when we are at church. We probably worship very little. The idea here to abide with Jesus is really to stay with Jesus in all the moments of our day, in all the activities of our our day, in all our tasks that we do, in all the errands staying with Jesus, in all the Facebook scrolling and TV watching staying with Jesus, in everything that we do as we're making dinner, as we're washing the dishes, as we're cleaning the floor and doing the dusting, staying with Jesus even in those things. When we go to work, when we are uh, at the daily tasks that are before us, staying with Jesus. At the heart of spiritual formation is this one basic rhythm of staying, remaining, abiding with Jesus. They asked him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Thanks be to God. Amen.